CFL fans, are you ready? Because it's time for the Canadian Football Countdown on Mike FM Winnipeg. The Canadian Football Countdown starts now. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Canadian Football Countdown. As always, I'm Ryan Cooper alongside Michael Garrell, and we are back yet again talking more CFL football with our Week 9 CFL preview. We'll be joined later on in the show by Josh Smith from the Podski Wee Wee podcast, talking all things Bombers versus Tie Cats this week. Stay tuned for that as well. But first, we bring in Michael Garrell to talk about the storylines and the keys of the game. Mike, how are you? Not too bad, not too bad. All right, so three games uh, coming up this week. Before we get into those, let's look back to our pick'em last week, Mike. I went a terrible one and three for the second straight week. Uh, what did you finish at? One and three. So, did we pick the same on all games? We did. We did. Uh, that Montreal pick did not work out very well, did it? No. No. Uh, <laughs> I looked like very... Early, we would at least go 2-0 and on the Thursday, but uh, boy, it seems like when you don't get those games earlier in the week, as far as, you know, the pick them right, you don't seem to get any of them. Yeah, and uh, I looked at the actual CFL pick them uh, results after the first three games, and I was at negative 256 points on the week. Uh, I did pick up, uh, you know, some nice points by taking Calgary at full confidence, but... Uh, we got to do better this week, Mike. Three games, We let's go 3-0. and Hopefully we agree, and hopefully we're right. So, let's start with the first one here. The BC Lions hosting the Edmonton Eskimos. Uh, big storylines in this one. What is it? Well, it's BC hosting the Thursday night game, and, you know, BC really wants to have a chance at, you know, making a playoff spot. They're going to have to win this game. Who's um, like- Whose idea is it to put Thursday night, nine o'clock Thursday night games, Mike? I mean, come on, it's in the middle of the week. Well, I'll tell you what, it's every team probably that the Thursday night game, and this happens to be BC. Uh, personally, I don't have a problem with the, with the weather we're going to be having this weekend, and this week here with a heat wave and calling for 34, 35 degrees Saturday night. Uh, and invest this root field anyway. I, I don't mind it. You can do stuff outside and then come in and watch the later stages of the first half and the entire second half. That's very fair. That's very fair. Uh, let's talk keys of the game, Edmonton and BC. Uh, coming in, Edmonton is 5-2, uh, and two, BC's 2-4. and four. Let's start with the home team here. What do the Lions have to do to win this one? Well, they have to don't play uh, offensively change much the way they played the last couple weeks and I think to be quite honest with you I still don't believe in this Edmonton defense I think if you can find a way to break them early and pile up a substantial deficit and make it you know 14 nothing 17 to 3 I think the best way to sum it up is made right made Mike Riley's hit the Eskimos on his back now, you have to think, though, coming into this game, Mike Riley completes less than 50% of his passes this last week, has a pretty ugly game against Saskatchewan, still pulls out the win. You have to think Mike Riley's going to have a fairly strong bounce-back day here. How do you contain him if you're the Lions? Well, I think it's exactly the way you contain anybody else. It's make the plays you're supposed to make, keep the plays in front of you, Try to read his eyes if you can, and, you know, it's almost, for lack of a better term, damage prevention, really. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. And then for the Edmonton side, uh, what do they have to do as they come into BC on Thursday night? Don't wait till your quarterback bails you out, practically. Uh, and then uh, find some offense, maybe get that defense to to uh, take the pressure off your offense, uh, score a touchdown, uh, you could be off and running. 
yeah, a defensive touchdown would certainly help the Eskimos there. Uh, I'm expecting a bounce back day from that offense, and we'll see if they get going early here. They don't have Marcel Young to pick on like they did when these two teams met a couple weeks ago because he's now off in Saskatchewan. But uh, Edmonton's offense did light up the Lions a couple weeks ago uh, with, I'm just looking back at it here, trying to figure out how many points it was. 41-22, Edmonton wins that one. Are we expecting something of the same result here? Or uh, who are you picking this week? Well, I think Edmonton, I mean Edmonton wins this game. Uh, but uh, I think it'll be very, very close. And if Travis Lilly can play a game and not turn the football over, I think BC has a chance in this one. I'm a big supporter of Travis Lule. I love what he's done in his three games back so far, and we'll talk about him a little more later on when we talk about the fantasy section of this podcast. But uh, I, I like how the lines have improved in recent weeks. That being said, you know, it's been too many weeks in a row where I haven't picked the Eskimos. You know, I took Montreal to beat them two weeks ago. I took Saskatchewan to beat them last week. They proved me wrong in both games. Mike Riley's going to come back with a vengeance. You don't. You can't tell me Duke Williams is going to be held to just two catches for consecutive weeks here. Um, and they still won this past week. So I am going to go with the Edmonton Eskimos. Yeah, and I, and I painted much, and you can concur with this with me if you want, or you can go against me, or whatever you, however you choose to go about it. Um, I think more so it's the safe pit in this team yeah you know i've been trying the risky picks lately and uh i've gone one and three in consecutive weeks so perhaps it's time to maybe make a bit more of a safe pick here that being said as we go along who knows maybe by the time we get to that game i'll take montreal over ottawa stay tuned um we'll find out we'll find out the second game has the bombers coming off the bye week to host the hamilton tiger cats coming to town uh, what's the what's the storyline in this one? Well, the Bombers, it's 10 days shake off the bye and basically keep that train rolling, but they had a rolling right before the bye. Uh, I think their last game, correct me if I'm wrong, was a home game with Toronto, yeah. uh, which wasn't necessarily good and for you know Toronto, but Winnipeg did what they needed to do. I want to see how this team responds because I think you'd agree with me. The Bombers had their most poor effort of the season in Hamilton the, uh, early in the season. I think it was week number three, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Um, so I just want to see exactly what this defense is made of. Because now we're going to see. You say they're setting in the tied for, tied for setting in the CFL. Yeah, both these teams are actually tied at 21 points averaging against uh, behind Calgary, so they're tied at second in the CFL. The one thing that Jeremiah Mazzoli's had field days with the Winnipeg Blue Bomber defense, so I'm very curious how the Bombers adapt to that. Yeah, you've got two strong defenses. I mean, they had, it's crazy to me that a couple weeks after we started you know, lamenting about another season with this defense, in Winnipeg that we're now talking about them in the category of strong defenses. Uh, They've had quite a few blowout wins. Their toughest game this year was that loss to Hamilton. Um, You know, these are also two very potent offenses. So I think we have a heck of a game on our hands here. No, it's a very interesting, uh, very interesting scenario because uh, it's a very interesting scenario when it comes to that. Uh, off, uh, let's talk key of the keys of the games here. Uh, let's talk Winnipeg first because they are the home team in this one. Uh, what is the key coming off the bye week for the Bombers to rebound uh, in their second matchup with Hamilton? Well, it's number one, don't fall in a big hole because, as I recall, they they fell in a fairly substantial hole with the rookie quarterback, and uh, explosion plays seem to be a problem for sure. Well, if you recall back to the game against Hamilton, that was actually the one where Hamilton beat them on so many short plays because the Bombers were scared of the explosion play. Yeah, but in, in the same sense, I mean, if, 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 if you want to look at it, the hold not too bad for the Bombers to overcome because the short plays kept the defense on the field. 
and they were doused by the end of the night, or in the third quarter at least. Um, but it's a very interesting scenario how the Bombers respond in a rematch at home. I'd imagine investors would feel they'll be pretty lively. I'm not sure Jeremiah Mazzoli has experienced anything like it. Maybe Regina, uh, to be the closest comparison. Well, he yeah, he's played in Regina. He's played in one. I mean, he's played in every stadium as far as I can remember now. So, I, I don't think at this point in his career that that's an issue for him. But uh, I'm hoping that we see an increased attendance again this week uh, as the Bombers host Hamilton on Friday night. We should, and it, it's it's just. The Bombers are trending in the right direction, it seems. And they seem to be telling the fans, we're back to normal here. This is like the new normal, right? With winning and and 20 points, little in and around they're giving up. Now the fans are saying, okay, show us, right? You know, you did it once. Bit of a soft schedule to begin the year, I think. Most fans would concur with that. Now it's when you get into meat and potatoes of your schedule. Now it's show me what you got. Yeah. And if you if you look at the first three weeks, I think Hamilton's a better team than their record shown. Let's talk keys of the game for Hamilton then. What what do they need to do to win this one? Man, as the crowd, don't let the crowd get into it. Basically, beat the Bombers the way you beat them in the first. In the first uh, meeting, in in the first meeting, and find a way to get the crowd to turn on the bombers. Because when that happens, things seem to be happening. Uh, so who are you taking to win this game, Mike Hamilton or Winnipeg? Winnipeg. I I think uh, bombers come out with bye week. Uh, and boy, oh boy, I don't know if you saw this. Uh, Matt Nettles arriving at Investors Group Field at somewhere short before five or six in the morning. Yeah. Uh, to put put in work day, um, he does that every day. I'll tell you what, I, I I like the Bombers and just for the simple fact, but we didn't have our number one quarterback in that first game, and I think I'm not saying they would have won the game, but you know there's something to Matt Nichols in that huddle with the Blue Bombers. Hamilton blows out Montreal last week, but we've talked long and hard uh, on our Week Eight recap episode that's already out this week about how, you know, Montreal has become, like you actually said, that free space on the bingo card. You you can't read it too much into a team blowing Montreal out of the water at this point. Before that, Hamilton had three straight losses where we were starting to question whether they were as good as we saw early in the season. And, and the Bombers coming in the bye week, you know, they, they had a strong last couple of weeks here. All of their wins have been blowouts so far this year. So I'm interested to see, you know, if they can win a gritty game, which it might be against Hamilton. But I'm taking the Bombers at home coming off the bye week as well. Can I take an even further risk? Sure. And say the Bombers plus 10? Yeah, you can certainly say that. I think Hamilton may be in for a little bit of a letdown because things may have been a little bit too easy last week. Uh, and then we get into our final game of the week, Mike. Uh, by the way, stay tuned. We will be, uh, I will be speaking with Josh Smith of Potsky Wee Wee uh, after we talk about this next game to uh, break down the matchup between the Bombers and the Ticats a little bit further. So stay tuned for that to come. But first, we talk Montreal, Ottawa. Uh, Storylines in this one, I think the spotlights are going to be on Johnny Manziel again. You know, he has another week of they, practice it, under him. If there was such a thing as not a spotlight, but a firelight, where basically it's like a spotlight, it's a the temperature just cranked up to about a thousand degrees, uh, within safe, uh, within safe means, of course. Um, where so are you going with this, Mike? Well, I mean, I'm not too sure I like Montreal scenario. No, and we talked again long and hard about that on the previous episode, so. I'll try to keep that to a minimum here, but, you know, I took the Alouettes in two straight weeks because uh, I thought, you know, the first one with Vernon Adams against Edmonton, the second one I thought maybe Manziel would come in and perform well. 
they really haven't shown up. And I'm shocked, most of all, defensively is where they've struggled. Uh, they've had their fair share of struggles on offense, but the defense has given up a heck of a lot of points, heck of a lot of yards this year. You're not going to win any game when your defense is playing like that. And the other end of the spectrum here is Ottawa comes into this game after their most embarrassing loss of the season uh, in the sense that they blew a huge lead and fell to the Argos 42-41. Uh, to 41. So uh, I think these are both two teams that are a little pissed off after last week. And uh, let's see how they bounce back this week. Uh, which team will? I think it will be Ottawa. But uh, let's talk keys of the game quickly here. Uh, starting with Ottawa, what do they got to do to win? Well, um, show up be... is an acceptable answer. <laughs> uh, I was debating whether uh, I was debating whether or not to be tapping obvious, uh, but play better defensively. Why? Because you just like I, I'm just flabbergasted that they blew a twenty. 22-plus, I'm not sure what the final number was, 22-plus point deficit in the time, but they did. Right, against Toronto this past week. I, been... was, I was out at the cabin with my family this weekend, okay? Okay. You want to know what somebody in my family said? Sure. And I'm paraphrasing a little bit. Ottawa sure looked pretty darn good last week, as in this past week. And I said, well, you didn't necessarily see the end of that football game, did you? <laughs> he goes, what do you mean? I said, well, something like the McLeod Bethel Thompson game winning touchdown in the final seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Answer, oh. Yeah, I mean, Ottawa blew it this past week, and uh, they really need to shore things up defensively. They're, uh, granted, they're playing an offense that's had its fair share of struggles. Key of the game for Montreal, what is it? <sighs> keep your head above water. Just Might... keep swimming. As the great Dory once said, just keep swimming. And don't let the boat sink more than it already has. No, but on the serious note, what's the biggest key here? Can you pinpoint the biggest key for for Montreal or something on Ottawa that they can exploit? Well, I, I think they saw that uh, the defense might be a little bit exploitable, if that makes any sense. Uh, you don't pull a 24-point lead without having some serious gaps in your defensive assignments and responsibilities. But I think the most important thing is put Manziel in situations to be successful. Absolutely. Do you recall... The stat line 11 for 20 is great. That's beyond 50%. That's better until, than Mike Riley this past week. Until you move to the ledger, which has, I believe, 0 and 4, particularly the 4 and INT department. Uh, very, very interesting. Uh, so, picks in this game. I picked Montreal two weeks in a row. I think you know where I'm going if you listen to our Week 8 recap uh, after I talked about 15 minutes about the lack of hope for this team. I am not going for the Alouettes for the third straight week here. Ottawa is going to be really frustrated after blowing the lead to Toronto. And I think they just overpower Montreal. And uh, until they prove things to me at this point, I might go back to just never picking Montreal. Okay. You're taking the Alouettes. I believe this will be a close game until something happens. Don't do it, Mike. I don't know what something happens. Don't do it, Mike. I, I don't know what that something is. Don't do it. Whether it's a Johnny Manziel pick. He's going to do it. Or what. But I will pick Ottawa because I okay. believe me can't. I believe they cannot blow a 20-plus point lead or have two horrible defensive showings in a row. Can they? Hopefully not. I would imagine that the Purifoy exit would have been a loud enough awakening in that Ottawa defensive meeting room that, oh, maybe we better get our ducks in a row. 
So we're both taking Ottawa. We picked the same on each game this week, which means we're either going to go 3-0 or 0-3, but we're in this together. At the High School Musical Sound Rose, Absolutely. we're all in this together. Absolutely. Uh, CFC the Musical, coming soon <laughs> podcast platforms near you. Um, game of the week this week, if you had to pick one, which one do you think it will be? Um, Winnipeg Hamilton. Probably. That's the one I would agree with as well. Let's go with that one. You know, there's, there's not really a matchup that entices you. Maybe it's that all-West division battle for some kind of a momentum gain for BC. And maybe Edmonton hoping to keep the pressure on Calgary for a shot at first place. I'm not sure. Yeah, I agree with you. The Friday night one between Hamilton and Winnipeg. Um, we'll bring Mike back later on in the show to talk uh, CFL Fantasy for Week 9. But before then, let's get into our weekly game breakdown interview. I had the pleasure of speaking with Josh Smith of the Podski Wee Wee podcast to talk all things Bombers versus Ticats this week. So without further ado, here's my interview with Josh Smith. And now I'm pleased to be joined by our guest here for our Week 9 preview on the Canadian Football Countdown. You can hear him talk all things Ticats each week as one of the hosts of Podski Wee Wee. It's Josh Smith. Welcome to the show, Josh. How are you this evening? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. It's always a pleasure to talk Canadian football with other Canadian football fans. Absolutely. We were able to finally get it uh, working out with the schedules. Happy to have you here on the show and uh, ready to talk some Bombers and Ticats as we tee up Week 9 in the CFL. Uh, a lot has gone on in Hamilton in the last several weeks with the big trade with Montreal and then the face-off with them this past week. Um, you know, they said at this point in the season, after the first couple games of the year, the Ticats were looking real strong. They have that three-game losing streak before bouncing back and blowing out the Alouettes this past week. A 3-4 and four record through seven games. What's your take on how Hamilton's season's gone so far? Well, you kind of said it. it's been up and down. They start 2-1, and one, then they lose three straight, then they destroy the Alouettes. It's kind of typical Ticats football over, say, the last decade, where it seems like every two steps ahead they take, they take one or two back. And they always hover around that 500 mark. And it seems like the defense plays well, the offense doesn't. The offense plays well, the defense maybe has a little bit of a letdown. Although I think that defense this season has been phenomenal for most of the year. And if it wasn't for the Calgary Stampeders setting defensive records, I think we'd be talking about the Ticats defense a lot more than we are. Right. But it, it just seems like they can never put it together for a full 60 minutes on both sides of the ball. So they have these games where they look like world beaters. And then, for example, they go into a place like Saskatchewan where going into the game, it's, man, they're going to they're gonna kill the Riders and they can't find the end zone. So it's just, it's this weird... Just lack of execution, I think, would be the best way to put it. So to see them hovering around 500, nearing the midseason mark, is not really a surprise. Now, obviously, the big talk around Hamilton for most of the season was the backup quarterback, Johnny Manziel, who was shipped out a couple of weeks ago. Um, a lot has been made of you know him going to Montreal and the whole situation there. Uh, trading away the backup quarterback, because Jeremiah Mazzoli has been phenomenal for most of this season. Uh, they got rid of Vernon Adams earlier. You have Dane Evans, who started the year as the fourth string and is now up to second string. From that standpoint, seeing how many backup quarterbacks have gone down this year, was this the right move for the Ticats? I honestly don't know. When the talk of they have, when Vernon Adams was still here, they have all three of these guys, and you look at that quarterback depth and you go, you got to have two, right? Like, Winnipeg's gone to their backup quarterback and he looks phenomenal. We've seen BC use two quarterbacks. The Argos are now on their third. Like outside of like the Bo Levi Mitchells and like even Mike Riley has gone, like he's been relatively healthy for the last few years, but yeah. it's not like he hasn't succumbed to injury before. Right. So it's always best to have two guys. And I know the team is really high on Dane Evans, but he's an unknown. And I guess Johnny Manziel was also an unknown. I think if his name was anything other than Johnny Manziel, he obviously doesn't get the publicity and the hype that he does. He sure. still was a guy that had no CFL experience. So even if Mazzoli did get hurt, and you know, luckily he's been remarkably durable throughout his career and hasn't really, as far as I can recall, lost any time due to injury. So it's not something that I, I think you hope or, or wish or anything like that. You know what I mean? Like, 
you, you suspect that he's going to play the whole season. But in the CFL, we've seen time and time again, backup quarterbacks are worth their weight in gold. And if I, I feel like with the trade of Manziel, like the, what they got back for him, it's kind of one of those things where he was never going to play here. We got two all-star caliber players. We got two draft picks. Like it was the right call. But now, yeah, that quarterback depth is pretty depleted. So it's 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 kind of tense when you think about Mazzoli, who is a scrambler, being kind of one hit away. And then it's the Dane Evans show. And then you, you know, like it's all up in the air after that. Yeah, and you talk about the return you got back. You know, if you take the name out of it, for a backup quarterback, that's quite the heck of a return that the Ticats got back in that trade. Uh, One of the questions a lot of people, I think, had surrounding Hamilton as they blew Montreal out of the water 50-11 to this past week was the non-willingness to uh, pull Jeremiah Mazzoli and put Dane Evans in to prevent injury until you know, really late in the game there. It was, I mean, it was out of reach a long way before then. Why do you think they kept him in so long? Honestly, I don't know. If it was up to me, The and I think this is what you heard from a lot of people online, a lot of people after the game, I think even the commentators sort of mentioned it. When Mazzoli rushed in for the score, I don't know, er, maybe midway to early into the fourth quarter, I think that would have, I think that ended up making it 47 to three. That to me was the time. I think there were maybe nine minutes left or so. That's okay. Let's get him out of here. We don't need any more. But then they put him back in for another drive, which was like, I was like, okay, he scores a touchdown. This game is over. The game was essentially over. And I actually talked about it with Mike on our show this week. I said, once they blocked the punt, that was it. 21, nothing. They, they've intercepted. They blocked a punt. They've scored. Like that was the game was over. The Alouettes yeah. were not going to score. They, they, they have a horrible offense. They weren't scoring that many points to get back in the game. So that it was it. And then, yeah. So late in the game when they didn't pull him, it was like, I don't know. We, we've had sort of that issue here before when I mean, George Cortez was a coach and Henry Burris was a quarterback. There was a game where they played, I think it was Edmonton and they beat the pants off. And it was something like 48 to eight or something like they destroyed them. Burris played the whole game. They did not put the backup in, which was curious. Then Ken Austin was the same way, sort of never really went to the backup in these blow games back in 2015. The Ticats were beaten. They were scoring 50 points a week at, at a stretch there. Claros played the whole game. I, I don't know if it's just maybe something in the water here where coaches are like, well, we're not take, putting the backup in. I, I don't I don't know what it is. There's obviously a reason for it. But to me, when I saw that, like, I wasn't angry about it. Like, there was a lot of people, I'm sure you saw, they were, like, ticked off. Like, well, how dare you do this? What if he gets hurt? And I understand that. But at the same time, it's like, I can, okay, I can kind of, like, that's what they want to do. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. I definitely get that. You know, you sit there and you watch. And you cringe a little bit because you you automatically think to the worst. But, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe they see something different. Do you think the Argos' miraculous comeback over Ottawa this week had anything to do with that? In that, uh, yes, you know, Montreal is not expected to score that many points and make a crazy comeback. But then again, neither was Toronto. I I doubt it. Just because the Argos made that comeback, which was phenomenal like that was one of the best football games we, we actually got aside from the taika game it was a pretty good week of football that we had just, uh, just oh, past. Sure. But yeah i can't imagine that we, like the argos even i don't think like ottawa really thought the argos made that comeback but they, they chipped away so well at that lead late in the game like they were it's like the owls couldn't get out of their own way throughout most of that game and when you're up 47 to 3 i can't imagine any team is up six touchdowns going Oh, We got really got to worry about a comeback here. You know, like I know no lead is safe is like the CFL's mantra, but in this instance, I think, I think that one was pretty safe. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt about that one. One of the interesting things with Hamilton's offense so far this year has been the carousel at running back. I think it's five different running backs have started or at least gotten a couple carries here and there throughout the season. Uh, Alex green being the latest one coming back from injury and picking up where he left off. What does the return of him from injury do for this offense? Well, I think because of how well he finished last season, had something like 450 yards rushing in six games, exploded onto the scene after the team traded CJ Gable. Like, I feel like he's more comfortable. Like, I'm a big John White fan, have been for a long time, dating back to when he was with Edmonton. But I just think Green has just a more a bigger grasp of this offense. And and they're not afraid to use guys like Sean Thomas Erlington and Mercer Timmis to take a few carries here and there. But I just feel like Green, having had that experience with June Jones last year, understands the offense better than maybe the other running backs do. Right. 
Getting into the matchup this week with Winnipeg, uh, flashback to week three, the Ticats take that one. I believe it was 31-17, the final score. Uh, And what we've talked about here on the podcast is arguably Winnipeg's worst performance of the season. Uh, The Ticats beat them all night long on the short passes here and there. Uh, Let's get into the matchup for this week and let's break things down. Offense, defense, and special teams, starting on the offensive side of the ball. What can you say about Hamilton's offense so far this year? And who do you give the edge in this matchup? Ooh, that's a tough one. See, I'm a big believer in the Blue Bombers. I said recently that I think they are the most complete team in the CFL, even ahead of the Calgary Stampeders. I think with Matt Nichols back, that offense is loaded with weapons and they have a quarterback. And and I thought Chris Dreffler played really well when he was in there. But I, th- I thought that offense, now with Nichols, they're, they're operating at another level. I think their defense is phenomenal. I think they get great special teams. This is going to be a difficult matchup for the Ticats with Nichols back there. So it's it, when it comes to the edge, the Ticats put up a lot of yards. Like That's the thing. The, the, their big problem all year has been scoring, and especially scoring in the red zone. They they pack up like I think they had two games over 500 yards. Mazzoli, as we all know, has thrown for 300 yards in all but one game this year. Right. They have a rushing attack. They like to change things up on offense. They'll use the big offensive line. They'll put the six guys back there. They'll bring in Nikita Whitlock to do some blocking if they have to. That maybe only adds uh, three or four receivers out there, but Mazzoli can find the guy that gets open. Like they like to do a lot of different things. It's really hard to get for me to give an edge to either team. And I think they're both both offenses are just so good. And when they're both clicking the way that they I know they can like to me, this is the, the, the marquee matchup of the week. because I think these two teams match up so well in every phase of the game. This is just going to be a fun one to watch. So if you're asking me to pick a side, I don't know if I can. I guess I got to sit on the fence. That's not very fun radio, but mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I, I just I like them both so much. Yeah, no, I, I have a feeling as we go through the three different sides of the ball that we're both going to you know, call it a wash on all three sides of the ball here, uh, perhaps, because just just on the offensive side, I, I think it's fair to say Hamilton might have the top receiving core in the entire CFL. I mean, you look at Jalen Saunders, who's second in the league in receiving yards this year, Brandon Banks, Terrence Tolliver, Luke Tasker, and then they go and add Chris Williams in that trade. Uh, are they the best receiving core in the CFL, or do you think there's another one that's more complete? I mean, I might be biased, but that's a pretty tough one, one to five to go down. And when Chris Williams is essentially your fifth receiver, and that's a guy who might be one of the best, it might be, he's definitely one of the best deep threats, might be the best deep threat in the league. If it's not him, might be the guy that's on the other side of the field of him, Brandon Banks. Like it's, it's, you look at those guys, those are guys all that have all had thousand yard seasons that have all been all-stars. I believe I'm, I'm not entirely sure about Tolliver. He might not be, and I know Saunders hasn't been just because he hasn't been in the league very long, but Saunders is the second leading receiver in the league. Like, you look at that that, uh, that receiving core. Again, I'm a Hamilton fan, so I, I don't want to come off bias, but I don't know if you can match up one to five anyone else. Like, there's some good, like, Edmonton's is really good. Calgary is obviously really good. Calgary's is deep, especially. But I don't know if one to five you can go any any better than what the Ticats have right now. That's that's a loaded receiving core. So you've got the best receiving core in the league on one side, and uh, you've got the best uh, the teams the league's leading rushing team on the other side. The Bombers averaging 161.57 rush yards a game. Uh, that's almost 50 yards more than the next best Saskatchewan. They put up 34.14 points per game. I mean, this is two high powered offenses going head to head. And uh, if you look solely at that, you might think this is going to be, you know, a gun show, uh, a very high scoring game. But then you look at the defensive side of the ball and these two clubs are tied for the second best defenses in the entire CFL, averaging just 21 points against a game each. Uh, Tell us a little about the Ticats defense and uh, can you give an edge to either side in this one? The one thing that Winnipeg's defense does that gives me the slight edge is they create more turnovers. And that's uh, up until last week with the Johnny Manziel interception show. That's something the Ticats didn't do particularly well so far this season. They they also aren't great against the run, although against Adrian Harris in that first contest, I believe they held him to under 65 yards rushing. And Harris did wasn't really a factor, but that game got away from them. Ticats got a big lead. The Bombers were forced to throw a lot. They had a rookie quarterback. So it's kind of hard to really take that into account. But Andrew Harris hasn't typically uh, had great games against Hamilton. I think in looking it up, he only had 100-yard rushing game against them. So even though the Ticats rush defense hasn't been great, I don't I don't know if there's 
like I, you would give the edge to the Bombers there, I think, uh, rushing against this defense. But the pass defense, Hamilton is, I believe, the only team allowing more pass yards this season is Calgary. And I, like with everything, basically, we should just eliminate Calgary from the conversation. You just talk about the other eight and how they rank because the Stamps are at like number one in like every single defensive cat. Like it's not even, almost not even fair to talk about them, right? So it, it, to me, it comes down to if the Bombers can can get the ground game going and cut, maybe build a leader, at least if the game's close and they don't have to get away from the run, I think that might give them a slight edge. But if they're passing, that Hamilton secondary has really come into its own. The return of Delvin Bro, although he might miss this game, which would be a big bull of that secondary, kind of solidified that back end there. Their pass rush, adding Jamal Westerman, it makes them a much more formidable pass rush. And they got Larry Dean, who's one of, if not the best linebackers of the game. Simone Lawrence is a guy who historically has put up big, he's, he's a big game player, right? And he had a bit of a down season last year, but I think he's bounced back this year. It, Hamilton's defense is, it's a very talented group. When they put it all together, it, they're really tough to score on. They're really tough to move the ball on, but the same thing can be said about Winnipeg, right? So what the Bombers do that Ticats don't do, like I said up top, they get turnovers. So if the Bombers get a few turnovers, that that could be what changes this game. Right. Yeah. And you mentioned how good they've been at shutting down the passing game, you know, under 200 yards against a game through the air, the Ticats are allowing, but they do allow uh, the most rushing yards in the league and facing a guy like Andrew Harris, who is, I mean, arguably the best running back in the entire CFL. It might be, you know, that's the key here for the Bombers perhaps is just run the ball all night long because, they don't put up a lot of passing yards on offense. Matt Nichols has that game manager label, and uh, perhaps the running game is the key to taking down this Ticats defense this week. Yeah, and I think that I think I really do think that is the key because I think if this game gets away from Winnipeg, which I don't suspect it will, this to me feels like it's going to be a one-score game throughout. We're going to see a bunch of lead changes. This, this to me is this is a heavyweight boxing match between these two guys. Two teams looking to make that jump into the league's elite. I think this is going to be fun to watch. And I, if it's close and the Bombers are able to stick with the run, I think that's what kind of gives them the edge in this one, you know? For sure. And of course we say all this and then you could get something like a 21-15 game that's all decided by <laughs> field goals. So Indeed. I, I sat through one of those uh, a couple weeks ago here. Ottawa's kicker kicked seven field goals in the game and they, and they won the freaking game. So <laughs> anything's possible in the CFL. Absolutely. And then we move on to the special teams side of the ball. Now, uh, I believe Frankie Williams, kicker turner in Hamilton, is out this week, I've heard. Uh, is that correct? I believe so. He got injured last week. Brandon Banks did most of the returning, so he wasn't at practice as far as I know, so I would suspect that he is not going to play in this one. So we look to probably Brandon Banks returning kicks this week. We've got former Bomber, former Argo, Liram Haralahu doing the kicking for Hamilton, former Ticat, Justin Medlock doing the kicking for the Bombers, and Kevin Fogg uh, doing most of the return duties here in Winnipeg. Uh, who do you give the edge to on special teams? The Bombers, and it's not just their personnel which is fantastic. It's that guy that got coaching on the sideline, Mike O'Shea with his trick plays, former special teams coordinator. There's all, he's always cooking up something. He's the mad scientist of special teams. So I, I think Hamilton special teams has been okay. I think it's been getting better as the season's gone on. But I think for me in this one, I think the Bombers have the edge on the special teams. You nailed it on the head there with Mike O'Shea. It's always interesting to see what he's going to cook up in the kitchen. You know, flashback to that first matchup with BC this year where you Kevin Fogg on the punt return throws the pass to Maurice Leggett and asked after the game, Mike O'Shea's kind of joking a little and uh, says he just wanted to know what would happen if he tried something like that. So. <laughs> I, I know O'Shea's not a huge, he's not a hugely popular figure in Hamilton from back in his playing days, spurning the Ticats to go to the Argos. But man, he's what a great head coach he is. Like he's just, he's fun. Like he just, he seems like a dude who's having fun coaching football. And I know any Hamilton fans that are listening to it are going to hate me for it. I, I like Mike O'Shea. <laughs> he, he's certainly, we love him here in Winnipeg. Uh, not so much when his time here started, but since things have turned around, absolutely. Uh, if things are going to turn in the Ticats' favor in the uh, in the special teams game, you know, Brandon Banks throughout his career uh, when he was primarily a returner certainly torched the Bombers many times so perhaps he breaks a couple loose there again this week but give us your take on uh overall what you expect to see friday night at investors group field i like i said earlier heavyweight title fight these are two teams that i think are very evenly matched you you talked about the stats their offenses are very similar their defenses are very similar the special teams while i think goes winnipeg's way it's the cfl and anything can happen like i think we're going to get 
a classic. I don't think it's going to be a super high scoring game, like maybe something in the low 30s to, to, to high 20s, like maybe something in the realm of like a 30 to 27 game. But I think these two teams are going to go punch counter punch. And I think fans around the league are going to get a very enjoyable football game. And uh, we certainly hope that's the case. I mean, there's been a couple games this year that looks like it's teed up to be a game of the year and they fall flat on their face. You look at the two matchups between Calgary and Ottawa, uh, the matchup between Ottawa and Hamilton. You know, maybe Ottawa's just the problem. I, I, I totally agree with you. It, Ottawa's the problem. I, I, I've been saying that forever. People in Ottawa don't tend to like it when I <laughs> crap on the Red Blacks, but I'm with you. Yeah, Ottawa's the issue. Uh, keys of the game for Hamilton if they're going to pull out the win in this one. What do you think they are? Don't turn the ball over. Uh, maintain possession of the ball. Keep the ball off of Winnipeg's offensive side. Like just, just do what they've done. Pick up yards. Eat up the clock. There, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, they are number one in time of possession. Just don't, just don't give the Bombers any opportunities to flip the field via turnovers. Don't let them have to get to go to the, the bag of tricks with the special teams. Just if Hamilton can play their game and just not turn the ball over, I think they can be successful. All right, and let, uh, we want to get your take here on the other games going on this week. Only two other ones, because three teams have a bye with the new breakdown of the CFL schedule. And it kicks off Thursday night with Edmonton in BC. Uh, how do you see this game going? I don't know why, but this one feels like an upset. I haven't been overly impressed with Edmonton so far this year. It's like clear they've got five wins. Like they're clearly a good football team. There's just something about them and I don't know what it is. And I know that that's lame analysis, but there's just something about them that I feel like they're, they're prime for an upset and BC is bad as they have been like, well, I think they're two and four right now. Yeah. They're, they, they, they look like they, they were in that game against the Stampeders last week and if not for Anthony Orange booting the ball and, and letting the, the drive continue for the Stamps where they eventually score a touchdown, who knows how that game turns out? Like, I feel like BC at some point, like they're two and four, they're going to get that third win. It's in BC. I don't know. There's just something in my gut that's telling me the Lions can pull this one off. What about you? I, I see it as, you know, people seem to be already kind of writing BC off in the playoff race. And I'm kind of with you here. I've seen them steadily improve over the last several weeks. Uh, the offense is certainly a lot better uh, with Travis Lue at the helm. But you're facing an Edmonton team that still won last week and put up 26 points, despite Mike Riley completing less than 50% of his passes. There's no way in my mind that he can he's going to go out and, you know, have a, as bad of a day as he did this past week. Uh, and they still put up 26 points. I, I just don't know if BC can match them. That You know what, that is that is kind of an excellent point, but it's just every now and then we get these games where at the end of the year you go, how the heck did that happen? This one feels like one of those, because I'm with you. I don't think BC's out of the playoff race by any stretch of the amount. They're a half game behind the Riders right now for fourth in the West, and it's likely we're going to see a crossover team. Like I, look, we don't, I think we all agree Montreal is not making the playoffs this year. The Argos are only at two wins, so... I don't. I, I feel like BC. You mentioned Travis Lule, and that to me is kind of the difference too. Once he kind of got inserted into the lineup, there's a little bit more confidence in that offense than there was with Jonathan Jennings. And this one just feels like one of those stereotypical. We never saw it come in games, and all that. There's one or two of us out there that are like, I don't know. Just it felt like BC was going to take this one, and that's kind of why I'm like, it, look, if Edmonton goes out there and blows the doors off him, I won't be shocked. I don't know. It's just this has a there's a feel to this game for me for the Lions, and I I just can't. I don't know what it is, but that's just how I feel. Yeah, no, I'm definitely with you on that one. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the Lions take this game this week. Uh, you mentioned those games that at the end of the year you go back and scratch your head on and wonder how they ended up like this. And uh, well, the Red Blacks were involved in one of those this past week uh, as they collapsed to put it politely, I guess, uh, <laughs> against Toronto. Uh, 22 points they allow in the fourth quarter. They blow an 18-point fourth quarter lead. And they face the Montreal Alouettes, who, well, had a very rough week of their own. Johnny Manziel's CFL debut does not go as intended whatsoever. Um, how do you see Montreal versus Ottawa going this week? I mean, McLeod Bethel-Thompson crush the uh the the uh red black so johnny manzel can do it too right yeah i don't <laughs> think so i don't i look i think montreal has talent on that roster like they're like they got bj cunningham is a good receiver like they have 
Darius Bowen might play this week, and I don't think he's what he used to be, but that's a guy that you can rely on. Terrell Sutton is maybe one of the most underrated players in this league only because he's played for so many bad Alouettes teams. I just don't see any way that, like, they're just such a mess right now that this thing almost needs to get completely burned to the ground and everything taken out until they can finally rise from the ashes. I just, I can't see any way in which Ottawa blows this game. Like uh, watching the Ticats put 50 on them. Ottawa's offense is pretty down to their opponents sometimes, but I feel like having blown that lead against the Argos, I think they're going to be out for blood in this one. Yeah, and if they fall to Montreal this week after what happened last week, the the sky may begin to fall in Ottawa. Yeah, and their psyche would have to be broken, right? Like, you, you, you lose to the Argos, and that's one thing. Okay, we big comebacks happen. We've seen that a bunch. But to, to lose to the Owls, that's just one of those ones where, okay, especially if the Ticats pull off a win. Like, now all of a sudden, what could have been with – had they beat the Argos when they had the big lead, and if they lose to Montreal, like, they could have had a massive lead on Hamilton for first place in the East – now all of a sudden they'd be tied. I don't know. This just, it, it, I can't see Ottawa, who is a team that I for years now I've never been able to figure out. It's like, are they good? Are they bad? <laughs> I don't know. Like they're just so in the middle. But I, I, I just can't see any way in which Noel Thorpe's defense doesn't do exactly what the Ticats defense did: get a bunch of interceptions, force a bunch of two and outs, make him plays, and then that Ottawa offense just with Ellingson and Sinopoli and Deontay Spencer and William Powell, like. I just can't see any way that they don't go in there. They, like, they don't play the Owls and don't score like 40. Like I just I can't see this being anything but a blowout for Ottawa. We've gone through our fair share of bad years here in Winnipeg. And uh, back kind of mid-2000s, uh, the Ticats struggled a lot for Ooh. a couple years in a row there. Uh, I believe I got that right, mid-2000s. Oh, you did. Yeah. You um, did. It was 2005 to 2008. They won like 16 games. It was rough. Yeah. And, of course, the Joe Mack era here in Winnipeg from 2010 to 2013 uh, was part of the bad times here uh, in Winnipeg. But uh, you have Montreal here that, you know, we've gone through the Bombers' struggles, and I I struggle to see how things improve here in Montreal. Can you, based on, you know, watching Hamilton get through their struggles, can you tell us, how, how does Montreal fix this? Well, let's look at what did Winnipeg do? They hired competent people to run their organization, right? You got uh, Walters in there. You got Michael Shea as a coach. And they let them go through the growing pains of building a team. Like it wasn't – they didn't do well one year and then all of a sudden everyone's out. It was like, okay, let's see if we can build this here. And there were ups and downs and then they finally got their quarterback and Matt Nichols. And then it's been pretty much a steady incline since then. Same thing happened in Hamilton. They were awful. And then they went out and they hired Bob Obilovich. And then he kind of put in a system in place and gave guys the opportunity to not – it wasn't, okay, we lost three in a row. Now everyone's fired. They gave the co- – Marcel Belfay became the head coach, and he was a, he was a you know so-so head coach. But coming off years where we would win four games to going into winning nine and making the playoffs, like that was a, an improvement. And then, then they went from that, and they went to Austin, and then sort of, they built sort of a culture of stability. And that's, I think, what the Owls have been lacking. Like how many head coaches have they gone through? Like people talk about like the quarterbacks since Anthony Calvillo, but it's been like Jim Pop was a coach, and then Dan Hawkins was a coach, and then Jim Pop was a coach, and then Jacques Chaplin was a coach, and then I think Tom Higgins was in there at one point, and then Jim Pop was a coach again. And there's just no stability in that organization. I feel like they have to go out, they have to find sort of like that football guru, sort of like that VP of football ops, put him in place, let him make all the decisions. They had it in Jim Pop, and and I think that the Maybe that marriage just needed to end because it was he was there for a very long time. But it's clear Jim Pop knows what he's doing. He goes to Toronto the first year, and they win a great cup. So Jim Pop is a smart football man. I feel like that's what they have to do in Montreal. They have to sort of follow what Winnipeg did, sort of follow what Hamilton did, get one guy, one voice at the top, and let him make the decision on who the general manager is. And then give that general manager a, a, the authority to hire the head coach. To give that head coach the authority to find his football staff and to pick the – like. I just feel like if you, you start at the top and you work your way down, that's the only way I think the Owls are going to fix this mess because if they just keep doing, you know, it feels like they're rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic at the, like, we're going to get a new GM. Nope. He didn't work. We're going to get a new coach. Nope. He didn't work. We're going to get a new coach. And then we fire the GM that hired that coach. <laughs> it's just been too much of a revolving door that there's just, the players don't know what the hell's going on. I feel like you get that guy at the top, whomever it may be, whomever they can lure, 
maybe a Ken Austin because he's a consultant with the Ticats. Maybe he could go in there and he could be the guy that sort of oversees everything. That that's just me spitballing here. I, I'm, it's not like I know anything, but like mate, you have to get that guy at the top that can just then make all the football decisions, and I feel like success will flow from there. Yeah, and one of those things, you know, consistency from top down, and I think quarterback position, uh, you need to pick a guy and stick with them. Uh, Fifteen or so starting quarterbacks since Calvio. Johnny Manziel was the latest one. Uh, disastrous start to his CFL career. Uh, can he turn it around and be that consistency standpoint for the for the Alouettes at quarterback? I don't know if he can in Montreal because he's he's gone into a toxic toxic environment, and I think he'll be fine. Like I think he has the skills to be successful. I just don't know if he can do it in that situation, right? Like, right. I, I like for instance, I think let's say he doesn't get traded, he sticks in Hamilton. Mazzoli unfortunately gets injured, say in week ten, week twelve. Say say he goes into Labor Day game and gets injured and they throw Manziel in there. I feel like he would have been successful because the talents around him, he would have been comfortable in, in the organization, he would have been with them for a while that he can that he sort of understood where everything was and, and kind of slowly was brought along. Just throw him into the fire. Like we gotta sell tickets, we need to get television ratings, we wanna sell jerseys, whatever. They throw him in there and it's it, it might do more harm than good. Like I know everyone says like, he's got to see the field to improve, but at some point you have to realize, okay, we have a guy like Vernon Adams who I think would have been fine to sort of steady the ship for a few weeks. And then you give Manziel a month at least to get used to the offense, get used to his teammates and all that sort of stuff. Because you, what you notice in the game that he, that he played when he was making these great, crazy improv improvisational plays, the other guys in the field didn't know what the hell was going on. Right. Like he threw one interception when he floats a pass to Terrell Sutton that tips off Sutton's fingertips, lands right into Jamal Roll's hands. Like I think if he was given time, maybe a month or so to get that chemistry with the teammates, Sutton knows what's going to happen, catches that pass. And it's not a pick. Like, I just feel like it's just too much too soon, but I think the talent is there. I just don't know if we're ever going to see it in Montreal. Like, like we just talked about, like they have to sort of top to bottom, just completely, reorganize that franchise and i don't know if the next guy that comes in is going to be a believer in johnny manzel so like i i having seen him and heard him when he's since he's come to canada i really am rooting for him to be successful just don't know if it can happen where he is right now very well put uh quickly here before we wrap things up i think you already kind of gave your answer to this but uh if you have to pick a game of the week this week is it that hamilton winnipeg game 100 percent. that's we're talking, like I said, two teams that are just both clawing to try to get to that next level, to get to that elite level with the Edmontons and the Calgarys of this league. And I think we're going to see a hell of a game between two teams that are just so evenly matched that are, are really going to want a victory. I, th I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to that one as well. Well, Josh, uh, I want to thank you for taking the time to join us here on the Canadian Football Countdown. And uh, before I let you go, where can people find you on social media and where can they find all of your work? All right. Well, social media, you can hit me up on Twitter. I am Josh Smith underscore 82. You can also find the Podski Wee Wee account on Twitter at Podski Wee Wee. We also have Instagram at Podski Wee Wee on Instagram as well. We post some stuff there. Uh, if you want to listen to the, the show each week, we post it over at threedownnation.com. You can also find it on pretty much anywhere you get podcasts, Apple Podcasts. Google Play, Stitcher, all the normal places that you can find podcasts. And of course, I don't just talk about Cats and CFL. I also write about them for Three Down Nation, so you can find all my stuff there as well. But if you just find me on Twitter and you're, you're interested, hit me up there. I post links to everything that I do, so that's probably the best way to sort of find me and interact with me. Wonderful. Well, thanks for taking the time to join us here on the show, and uh, enjoy the game this week. You too. I'm glad we finally got a chance to do this. This was a lot of fun. Absolutely. And that was Josh Smith of the Podski Wee Wee podcast joining us here to talk Bombers and Tie Cats Friday night at Investors Group Field. Uh, thank you to Josh for taking the time to join me for that interview. Uh, Mike, it's time for the fantasy fix for week nine as we talk CFL fantasy. Uh, looking at my lineup from this past week, I did something not very smart. Mm, you haven't really done that. Too many weeks, especially at the quarterback position of late. But as I say, there's time. There's time for a rebound. I took Johnny Manziel as my quarterback. He gave me a very strong negative 3.4 points. Great output from the quarterback position. But 
I still found a way to get over 90 points this week. Finished at 91 point something. Uh, so all around a pretty decent week. Uh, huge games by Brad Sinopoli and Kamar Jordan definitely helped with that. So we look ahead to CFL Fantasy Week 9. And our premium pickups, bargain bin buys, dollar drainers, and of course my Hail Mary pick of the week, Michael Garrett. There's a guy known as Andrew Harris. There's uh, quarterbacks like Mike Riley. There's quarterbacks like Jeremiah Mazzoli. There's players like Duke Williams that need to be in your lineup. Who are your premium pickups for this week? Uh, the number one at quarterback is Trevor Harris, $8,405 uh, facing Montreal's Montreal's defense, you know, Mike Riley two weeks ago, look back to what Jeremiah Mazzoli did this past week. Uh, huge day expected for Trevor Harris, who is known to have quite a few strong games under his belt and had a fairly strong game uh, against Toronto this past week. So Trevor Harris is a great premium option at quarterback, as is Mike Riley every, you know, every week. Mike Riley, if you can afford him, you should have him in there. Uh, I love Andrew Harris every week as a running back. You know, he had a down week two weeks ago against Toronto, but I, I don't see that happening again. Uh, and then William Powell as well. Again, I'm picking on the Alouettes here, but the last couple of weeks they've shown no reason not to. $7,406. William Powell is very fine option at running back. Anybody else that you haven't touched on that you would want in your lineup? Yeah, wide receiver, I think Duke Williams, it's fair to say, is in line for a strong bounce-back week this week. You know, he was held to just two catches the week before, but uh, I can't see that happening again against BC, $8,697. And uh, Brad Sinopoli, as much as people think he's going to eventually fall back and regress a little bit here, uh, still had seven catches for 89 yards and a touchdown this past week. So two strong plays there at a high price. And uh, my premium pickup on defense as well would probably be the Bombers defense. You know, they're going to cost you the most at 6179 but uh, they're known to force turnovers and they're known to get sacks, and we'll see if they can do that against Hamilton this week. Question for you, although you probably maybe answered the question in the last one. Sure. Who would you take if you cannot fit Calgary defense in your lineup? Who would you pick, Hamilton or Winnipeg, and why? I think Hamilton. I think Winnipeg's defense is a little more known to force turnovers, and that's what gets you the big points in fantasy. You know, they're they're these teams are even when it comes to you know points against per game. So I like Winnipeg a little more, but they're almost two thousand dollars more right now in fantasy. So uh, in that sense, probably Hamilton. So depending on how you allocate your salary cap, uh, right. And, 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 you know, some weeks you have more. So I finished this past week with $2,500 extra dollars that I didn't use. And and I still put up a 90-point week. So as much as, you know, everybody thinks you have to spend right to the cap, you definitely don't. Uh, sure, I do wish I did in some cases. I'm the quarterback position. But uh, it's not necessarily uh, that you have to spend straight to the cap. This... Uh, you took the next question kind of right out of my mouth, and that is, Spend into the cap or not? Yeah, no, I I don't do it just for the sake of spending no cap is how I'll wrap, wrap that up there. On to your next category, bargain bin buys. Who, who would you have at the top of that list this week? Starting at the quarterback position, it's Travis Lule at $6,043. Uh you know, Travis Lule has come back from injury three weeks back from injury, and he's averaging 16.4 points a week, uh, 15, 21, and then 13.2 against Calgary's defense, which was pretty impressive. Uh, I like the matchup with Edmonton for Travis Lule, and uh, I might uh, he might be my starting quarterback in my lineup this week. Okay. Anybody else? At the running back position, uh, this is, like I said, where I struggle to find a bit of value. You know, one guy... Uh, one of the guys that may see a bit more playing time if this game gets out of hand between Montreal and Ottawa is William Stanback, the running back slash kick returner for Montreal. He has ten. He had 8.6 and 10.3 fantasy points in each of the last two weeks. 
uh, filling in for Terrell Sutton late in the game and returning kicks as well. Perhaps he's a value play there. And then uh, stay tuned to see if Chris Rainey is back in the lineup this week. If not, then Trayvon Van uh, returning kicks and uh, pitching in at running back as well. Uh, $4,816, 8.9 fantasy points last week. Perhaps Trayvon Van is an option there. Who would you look at as for running or for receivers, pardon me? Uh, Kembrell Tompkins, $2,500, made a CFL debut two weeks ago uh, against Toronto and put up 11.1 fantasy points. And we'll see if he's featured a little more in the offense this week. But I have no problem taking a chance on him if I'm looking for value. Uh, and then the other one is R.J. Harris of the Ottawa Red Blacks, $2,500 as well. Last three weeks, 9.6, 9.1, and 12.3 fantasy points. That's pretty good for a guy that's only $2,500, especially with the matchup against Montreal this week. R.J. Harris seems like a pretty good option to me. And uh, just to round things out here on defense, uh, the Ottawa Red Blacks defense, 6.16 point average. Uh, that was before this week. And uh, he's facing Montreal's offense, who can't seem to get anything together right now. What's our next category here, Mike? Dollar drainers. Yeah, these are guys that, you know, I'm probably staying away from uh, in the fantasy lineup for this week based on their price tag for not much of an expected output. Uh, let's start at the quarterback position. Um you know, it's kind of in that same price range as as my Hail Mary pick. A uh, guy I'm probably staying away from is Johnny Manziel at $7,000. Uh, you've got a lot of good quarterback options here this week. I don't really think he's one of those. Uh, talking about the running back position, uh, you know, there's, there's a couple different options. There's not too many low-priced options at running back this week. But I don't know if there's really too many dollar drainer options either because Andrew Harris is going to have himself a big day. Jeremiah Johnson facing that Edmonton defense, that's not great against the run. C.J. Gable against the B.C. defense, that's not against the run. And Alex Green, uh, you know, he had a strong game this past week. So I really don't actually have anyone at the running back position that I think is a terrible pick this week. Finishing off the category of dollar drainers, you know, at the wide receiver position, you look at guys that, you know, maybe don't warrant a spot in my lineup this week. And uh, I, I'm really looking, you know, they're at guys like uh, like a B.J. Cunningham, a $4,881 salary. Um, I was tempted to put him in my lineup last week, but until we see improvement here from the offense for Montreal, I, I think this could be a case where I really don't want to take B.J. Cunningham on a chance until I see Montreal improve. So stay away from Alouettes. That's pretty much, and they're my dollar drainer on the defensive side of the ball as well. Uh, I'm not taking the Alouettes defense at three thousand two hundred dollars, uh, especially when, uh, especially when Ottawa's defense against Montreal is only about one hundred and eighty dollars more. Perfect. Who would be your hail mary pick? Oh, the hail mary pick. If you want a hail mary pick this week, it's going to go and be the guy I picked last week at quarterback. And that is Mr. Johnny Mansell. You know, negative 3.4 points. You can't do worse than that. Uh, you, you, I'd be shocked if you do. Um, you know, he has another week of practice underneath him. I don't have that much confidence to actually put him in a lineup. But uh, if you want to take a chance and need to take a risk, put Johnny Mansell in your lineup this week because it can't possibly get worse than it did last week. So, I don't know. I'm just trying to understand. He's your Hail Mary pit, but you also put him on a dollar, as a dollar drainer category. So what, I guess, you're not expecting him to break out, but maybe a warning that he could? Yeah, I guess that's a strong way to put it. And with only three games this week, you know, you don't have a lot of options at the quarterback position. There's only really six to choose from unless you're choosing a backup. I think Mike Riley, you know, will put up big points every week. Jeremiah Mazzoli, Trevor Harris, Matt Nichols. These are all guys I would be comfortable putting in a lineup. Um, really, the only one is is Johnny Manziel this week that I'm not comfortable uh, potentially putting in a lineup. And so that's why he ends up on that list. But I think he could have a bounce back day. And why not? Because 
you know, it can't get any worse. She said, and I'm paraphrasing, uh, flush it out of my system and move on. I'm expecting him to have a bounce back. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with you on that one as well. Uh, Mike, any super quick final thoughts before we end this episode of the podcast? Not a final thought, but a question. Sure. So, what are you most looking forward to this week? Well, this week there's only three games. Uh, I will be missing two of them as I will be out at the cabin this weekend. So uh, I'll make sure to catch up on the Bomber game and the Montreal-Ottawa game when I come back. But looking forward to the Thursday night game between Edmonton and BC. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, this is just a a closing note uh, to Winnipeg listeners and listeners in the surrounding area of our podcast. Stay tuned to uh, stay hydrated. My goodness. Looking at the long range forecast 29 tomorrow, which is Wednesday, 31 on Thursday, 34 on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Fun. Ouch. We'll leave it at that. We'll leave it at that. This has been our week nine CFL preview. Thanks again to Josh Smith from Podsky Wee for joining me for the game breakdown interview. Thanks, Michael Garrell, as always, for uh, joining me as well. Uh, it's always fun talking football, the two of us together, as we do twice a week, Mr. Michael Garrell. Uh, for those that haven't already done so, they should check out our week eight CFL recap that came out Tuesday night on the podcast feeds. Uh, visit our website, mikefmwinnipeg.com slash the Canadian Football Countdown. That last part all hyphenated. Follow us on Twitter at CFC on MikeFM and follow all of the other Canadian Football Podcast Network shows at CF Pod Network on Twitter. That does it for this episode. Uh, for Michael Garrell, I'm Ryan Coop saying thank you for listening to the Canadian Football Countdown. Enjoy the weekend. Stay hydrated. And uh, enjoy three great football games this week. And we'll talk to you again next week. Bye. Bye.